Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Mikhail Laxton is a singer-songwriter from Mossman in far north Queensland who now calls Canada home. His music has influences of Americana, country, folk rock and blues and all of those are present on his excellent self-titled debut album and I have some questions for him about it. Hello, Mikhail. G'day, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I have to ask you first up about the cap you are wearing, which has the Rabbitohs logo on it. So please explain <laughs> your devotion to the Rabbitohs when you come from Queensland. Um. Look, there's been a lot of great Queenslanders that played for the Bunnies over the years, and uh, I don't know. I ever since I was, ever since I was like, I want to say fourteen, I just, I just got obsessed with them because they were the oldest club in the country. So, okay, I don't know. It's just legendary, you know. And you know, they've had a pretty damn good team for the last handful of years, you know, with uh, especially when GI jumped on board and. Yeah, I'm I'm a big GI fan and and uh and I'm a big Broncos fan too. Right. Because we are talking at a time that is ahead of the NRL grand final. The Broncos are in the grand final. I will say the GI you're referring to is of course Greg Inglis, for those who do not know. Uh but um yes, Broncos. So by the time this interview is actually posted, we'll know <laughs> what, <laughs> what the Broncos have done or not done. <laughs> I just want to give a huge shout out to the Broncos. Congratulations, you know. <laughs> so do you? <laughs> so you live in uh, Ottawa. Do you get any questions about your bunny's cap when you're walking around? You know what? I've been a part of a like a social uh, touch rugby league here, and for the first time ever, I, I went down last Thursday to play, and there was two guys there that were wearing. One of them was wearing a, a Maroons jersey. And I've never seen that here before. And the other guy was wearing an Eels jersey. And I'm like, what is going on? So the, the Eels guy was was from Australia. Right. And the the guy that was wearing Maroons, he was Canadian, but lived on the Gold Coast for a long time. So, okay. um, no, I don't get asked about my jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you'll have to wear a Maroon jersey now as well, of course, just to balance yeah. out the bunnies and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talk- we're not yet talking about music. I should get into your music. <laughs> um, I have to say, regardless of which song I'm listening to on your album, it sounds like you really love what you do. Like you are really in it with every single song. Was that how you were feeling when you were recording the album? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Like I, I've been writing this album. I've been writing since 2016 when I got here okay. uh, to Canada. Um, I bought 21 songs that I thought had had what it took to be on this album, and it was it was funny because me and the producer had about a week of pre-production, which is usually a little long or not a little long, but like usually most, most people, it, it, that costs money. Right. So, it, it, you know, usually they cut that very short, maybe to just like a day or two. Um, and, and in all honesty, we probably really needed the seven days because we had the 21 songs and 
I'm not I'm not too precious about about them. You know, if some songs don't don't make it, then they don't make it. It's fine. Um, I don't sit there and say, oh, you know, no, no, this one really needs to be on there. But at the end of it, like there were probably four singles that we had to really choose, and then the rest of them by by the Friday of the that later that week, we kind of were just like. Spin the spin the globe and and put your finger on a song, you know. So, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Sorry, that's my daughter waking up now. I can't actually. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But um, sorry. Yeah, go I, I, I I do love I do love what I do very much. I like and I love writing. Like I I'm I I first and foremost class myself as a songwriter. So, um, you know, everything after that is just. It's just fun, you know, like, I mean, songwriting's fun too, but that's where I get my kicks, uh, is, is lyrically speaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting you say that about sort of, you know, pointing <laughs> pointing on the globe to, to pick songs because the, the album is a collection of stories that seem very representative of you and your experiences in your life, and it does feel like a, a range is there, not that it it was at, at any time random. So maybe it was just the way it turned out. Those songs all sounded like they belonged together. Yeah, I think mm, I think that comes down to the way we produced the songs. Uh, we did it over like we did it over two days. Um, so the pre- the pre production happened where we just made sure all the songs and all the 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 lyrics were there. And and maybe we shuffled a few things around, or, um, you know, the way I'd been playing them because I like just to just to reiterate, I'd had these songs for a while, so I'd been I've already I'd already been performing them a certain way for a while um, with bands or or, or, my, or myself. So to come in with a producer and sort of rework these songs just slightly, um, just to tighten them up a bit better, and and. Yeah, it, yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, I, I kind of forgot your question there. <laughs> I was just that they all sound like they belong together. So I, so man, you said you think maybe that was just the way they produced. They were produced as opposed to a conscious way of bracing those particular songs together. Yeah, there was a way. Yeah, we had two days of of recording with the band, and we just everything was instinctual. There was maybe one song. There was one song that definitely, when we when we started playing it together, it just didn't feel right as soon as we played it. There was a beat that that had been chosen um, for the drummer to play, and then I quickly had to veto that and say, "Actually, can we just like right on the spot?" I was just like, "Actually, can we play it like this?" Do whatever, and and then it was like, "Yeah, good call. Yeah, good call." That was the only song that that needed that needed a little bit of last minute change, but. Yeah, it yeah, it, we we had all the same players. Everything's consistent. Right. I think. Yeah, like Yeah, 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 no, you're right. Yeah. I I kind of like that, you know, cuz there's there's a lot of albums out there that I listen to that I love by artists and sometimes you know, like I I I I listen to albums, not necessarily singles. So for example, there's an artist called Brent Cobb mm-hmm. um, who his cousin is the producer for like all the Stapleton albums. Right. And uh, his cousin produced his album, uh, this guy Brent Cobb called Providence Canyon. And 
it's it's all the same vibe for like the the whole 12 to 14 songs or whatever it is and i love that album top to bottom mm-hmm. because of that because the, it's it's the same vibe it's like the 70s rock funk mixed with country mm-hmm. and 70s southern rock i should say mixed with nice. funk and country and it's just the perfect mixture of those genres and they they just sit in that spot every song's different but they sit in that spot collectively mm-hmm. and then there's other albums that I I really enjoy the artists and I really enjoy the way they write but I'll 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 listen to maybe half the record right. often you know and the rest I just don't bother cuz it just doesn't tickle me the yeah. right way so. Yeah. I think that's one thing I really wanted to do. Aaron Goldstein, the producer, he's he's from a rock and roll background and and we he kind of bought that vibe on the album, but he's somebody that makes albums, not just mm-hmm. singles. So yeah. Yeah, no. I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. That's that's a good observation. Well, <laughs> that's, that's that's an observation. I, I I that was intentional. Mm-hmm. And uh but it was instinctual too. So yeah, I mean, it seems even with the song selection that that maybe it was instinct that brought those songs together because it certainly it doesn't sound like you're telling a story front to to back if you know what I mean. It's not like oh, I'm going to take you on this journey. It's more that yes, the, these songs belong together. And given that you said that you're a song, you consider yourself a songwriter first and foremost. Do you therefore see performance as the way to bring the songs to an audience as opposed to you know, being a performer and a songwriter, it's just like songwriting is the primary function. Performance is what you do to communicate, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, they're, they're two completely different beasts. Mm-hmm. Writing is, writing is, yes. I also get my kicks off performing as well. So, like I'll be honest, I'm an attention whore. I love I love the limelight. <laughs> I love being the center of attention in a room. But um, you know, I I know that I have something to offer. I just I just like giving people something to offer that I know that I like this is the best thing I I know how to do in my life. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's there's a handful of things that I enjoy, but like I enjoyed I really enjoy doing the things I'm good at. And you know, and 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 I've always had this idea that my music is something that could potentially help people because mm. it's helped me in my life so much. So, you know, when I've when I've gone through a really, really tough time, um, I've had music either to listen to, to feel, to help me feel what I'm feeling, and then I've had writing to help me express what I'm feeling, right. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I've I've been surrounded by people in my life that have struggled with lots of depression, um, crippling depression. Right. And eventually they, they get out of like, uh, you know, I remember this one person in my life. I won't, I won't divulge into who it was, but this one person in my life, he struggled with depression really badly for like three years straight to the point where he couldn't answer the door when somebody knocked at it. Like he would hide and and not answer like pretend like he wasn't home and towards the end of it like he started getting treatment and stuff like that you know natural like through natural therapy naturopathy and he started getting better and towards the end of it 
I, I ended up telling him, I was like, hey, man, like, it's really good that you came out with, with me and my boys, you know, like, it's really good that you're getting out and about because we never see you around. We never see you having fun. And he said to me, he said, you know what? Like, yeah, he said, I feel myself getting better. But the thing is, is that um, he said, the biggest thing I'm starting to learn is that, like, I've been holding it in this whole time and haven't been talking to anybody about it. And then I said to him, I said, yeah, well, thank you for talking to me about it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, that's the biggest thing that's helped me more than the medicine, more than the medication, more than anything. He's like, as soon as I started opening up little bit by little bit, I started feeling better. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I, this will wrap up into a, whatever, <laughs> it'll make sense in a second. But um, what I remember saying to myself, and I was only 15 at that point, uh-huh. I remember saying to myself, if I ever suffer from depression, I'm going to get it out. I'm going to talk about it somehow, whether it's to somebody or whatever. And I found that songwriting for me um, helps me express my feelings. That's where I can get the most vulnerable because about about how I'm feeling. Because if you just talk about your feelings all the time to your friends, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough on them. And And sometimes you just like sometimes the only time they see you is when you whinge about your life, you know? Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. Which, yeah. Them and if you and I'll say this: if you got friends that never want to hear about it, then they're not your real friends. Mm-hmm. But you know, you also have to understand that every time you see people that you care about, you can't always be talking about how down you are, how 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 much you think everything sucks. And so, for me, you know, maybe that's that maybe that was an unhealthy thing for me. But the unhealthy the, the healthy thing for me was to start writing songs mm-hmm. and listening, to music, which is what helped my friend as well. He played a lot of music during that time. He was a guitarist. He was a guitarist. He wrote lots of songs during that time. And then, you know, that helped him as well. So I didn't start writing until a few years after that, but I found that that's where I could sort out a lot of the the shit that was in my head that I hadn't dealt with. And Mm -hmm. and, and it it even, you know, it, it even... It went to another level when I came to Canada because, uh, you know, I was I was only here on a visitor visa. I couldn't work, and it was coming out of winter, really dark time over here, and I just had to sit down and deal with all the stuff that I all of a sudden I had all this time for this stuff to come up. So I wrote a lot of songs, and 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 half of it, maybe three quarters of it, is what you see on the album right now. Yeah. Um, this gets edited, right? I'm a long-winded talker. Really, so. <laughs> I don't. I don't actually usually edit because it's your expression, and it's always yeah. interesting. Every conversation is different. And you talking about um, what songwriting did for you when you moved to Canada. I imagine it also helped you deal with grief because your mother died in 2020. You'd come back to Australia um, to care for her. It was during the pandemic, and there is a beautiful song about her on the album called "What Can I Say," and that's it's not an expression of grief. It's an expression of love and appreciation for her. Uh, but I do imagine the tools that you developed songwriting earlier on would have helped you through that time to express yourself in that, in that song and any others you wrote. Yeah, that was, that was more of a moment than, than it was um, a process. I, I'd been trying to write a song about my mum since I started writing songs and I I could never, I never felt like whatever I was writing was good enough. Even this song still isn't good enough. Um, but it, it's, it's, it, it definitely expressed how I was feeling in that moment. 
you know, like that song in particular, my mum had cancer and we we just we just visited in March 2020, mid-March or early March. We flew over and by March 16th, they announced that anybody that had an Australian passport needed to get back to where they were or stay in the country. So we got we just got there for a holiday and we basically had to turn tail immediately and 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 fly it back to Canada. And uh you know, we thought she had more time. And then one night we were just, you know, me and my wife were putting my son to sleep and my sister just texted me and she's like, Mick, you need to write her a song now. It's time, like it's time to write that song that she's been wanting. And uh and so I sat down and like within 15, 20 minutes, I I sent a video to them and and uh and a week later my mum entered the, the stage of delirium where she didn't know what was what. So she got to hear the song and and they took a video, which I've only watched once. Uh they took a video of her listening to it and and she loved it. Apparently she just loved it, loved it, loved it. And then uh and then a week later she was she was gone up here, you know. So right. um yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Yeah, that was um yeah, that particular time not being able to be there for her. But the song is a wonderful tribute to her. So no doubt, I'm not no doubt she loved it. No doubt she was very proud of you in that moment as well. So when when what at what age did you actually start writing songs? It's it's funny. I did start writing, trying to write songs when I was around about. 12 I want to say 12 years old I started playing guitar when I was 11 mm-hmm. and <laughs> I remember the first song I really I really liked Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton <sighs> and I kind of wrote a song like that about a friend's <laughs> about a friend's mum <laughs> I've never actually admitted that on camera <laughs> um yeah, like yeah, my one of my good mates, uh, very very close mate of mine, back in the day, uh, it was his stepmom actually, and uh, it wasn't that I had a, I, I didn't really have a crush on her, like I I just I thought she was just just a really lovely person, and and so I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not really interested in the in in any girls at the moment, but uh, so I, I just sort of like wrote, I wanted to write a song like Wonderful Tonight, and I kind of used, I kind of used my friends, uh. My friend's mum, uh, stepmom as a as as my subject, you know. Inspiration. Told anybody that. And did it work? Was she a good inspiration for the song? Did it work? Did you get the song out? No, no, we, no, we never got that. No, that song sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> it was basically a rip off of Wonderful Tonight. So, no, no, I would have got sued. <laughs> So um, after that, so that was obviously a good first experiment, though, because it set you on a path. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? So obviously it set you on a path, though. You had that first song out of the way and then you could move on and write other songs. So was there a point where you thought, yeah, this is something I like I like doing, so I'm going to do it, you know, after school or on the weekends, whatever it is, almost as a hobby? Yeah. You know what? I didn't do too much writing. I I, I wrote, like, maybe a couple of little songs at that at that time 
And then I, I, I reckon I started picking up songwriting again when I was about, how old was I? <laughs> me and my me and my, my one of my best friends we we would we would go out to parties and it usually would end with us grabbing a guitar at some point after the party had long ended and we'd go sit in a park um and 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 drink and and just sing uh more than words or something like that like that was always the go to um a couple of like Pacific Island songs that we knew and then we would and then I remember one night I remember one night we were about 16 17 and we started writing this stupid song in this park when we were like half cut and uh and it was so funny I remember we 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 woke up the next morning and and we were like wait we kind of wrote a half a song last night and it was just like we, we we picked up the guitar and figured it out. It was so lame. We were like we still tease each other about it to this day every time we see it. But um, but but that's around the time after that where I was like, oh, I'm gonna I want to start writing a couple of songs again. And right. and um, and 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 you know, I didn't take it seriously at all. But um, so it was it was it was again a long time before I actually started writing. And I would say I started writing songs when I was about nineteen. Um, I went away. I left. I left my hometown of Mossman up in up in Far North Queensland. Now I moved to Brisbane, and I became a part of this um, volunteer organization uh, where they did a music school. And so I met a lot of songwriters there. And it wasn't until then, it wasn't until I, I had that experience with those with that school and those people, where I met some really really talented uh, songwriters from. Like I made friends with the one guy. Um, one of my mates, Caleb, down in the states, and uh, and he and he was just this amazing songwriter. Like he had these amazing songs. So I ended up joining his band during the school, playing bass, and then I was introduced to Amos Lee, an artist called Amos Lee, by a friend of mine, another friend of mine that was on the school, and that's that's where I start. That's where I like I got obsessed with songwriting because I heard his writing. And also his singing, but it was his lyricism and the way he put a song together that really changed something for me. I remember the first time I heard it, I had to find out where I was hearing the song, and I, I walked around the campus and I found this, I found this this girl, this the student that was on the school with me, and she had an amazing voice and could, like I thought it was a recording, and I was like, what the hell is that song? And she's like, oh, this is yada yada yada. She's like, I can't take all the credit. It's not my song. And she and she took me to a computer and showed me Amos Lee. And I spent the rest of that afternoon, all night, watching Amos Lee videos. And that's that's that was the turning point in my brain where I was like, this is I want this is what I want to do with my life. Right. And uh, I want to write songs like this, and I want to I want to sing. So, yeah. And you are a great singer. So that's the other part of your development in your musical life is singing. So when did that begin for you? Who, which singers did you most admire when you started, were starting to sing and forming your own sound? Mm. I Singing-wise, I loved Boys to Men. Right. Always loved Boys to Men. Uh, you know, 
that that guy, my 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 buddy that I was talking about, where we started writing songs after we'd get drunk or whatever. Growing up, it, like we'd have sleepovers, and the sleepover would always end with us laying in separate beds, singing singing ourselves to sleep, singing boys to men song, trying to sing as good as we could, trying to like emulate how they sing and and do the harmonies and stuff like that. And uh, I, I I always sucked at harmony, so um, I just I, I always like always took the lead. Um, and I never, th- I actually never thought of myself as a singer until I turned nineteen. Um, it was after, it was actually after I heard Amos Lee, where I was like, I started taking singing seriously, and uh, and trying to sing. And I, I, at that school, I actually ended up jumping up and at one of the open mic nights or whatever. And and uh, believe me, I wasn't, I wasn't very good, <laughs> but. Um, everyone kind of freaked out and was like, man, you got, you got to like, I remember somebody saying to me and this, and this, I'm only saying this cause it, it, it's tooting my horn a little bit, but um, this is actually what helped me get more confident and actually just start pursuing singing a little bit more as well was somebody told me, they, they said, you have the kind of voice I could listen to all day. And I was like, Oh, wow, like really? And they're like, yeah, seriously. Like, and this is another singer that had been singing since she was a child and she was like, yeah, like you, you she, and, and she was on it. She's like, you need some lessons or whatever, or you need to like keep singing and, and and develop. But she's like, the way your voice sounds is very, very pleasing to the ear. So, um, yeah, I, it, I, I didn't start singing until I was 19. So, well, I think, yeah. you know, tone is something that can be there. Yes, you can have lessons and, and, and shape how you articulate words and all this and phrases and all those sorts of things. But but yeah, tone seems to come from the ether, I guess. It, <laughs> I, I've always had a, uh, this, this is actually funny bringing this up because this has taken me back to a, a memory I have of my stepdad, who I love dearly. He, he was a singer and a, and, a, and a songwriter as well. Uh, is is a singer and a songwriter as well. So when 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 I was about 13, 14, and, and him and I got along like a house, we, we get along like a house on fire from day one, like we were like best mates. And uh and I remember we would like we were driving in the car one day and I was I was always good at mimicking people. I, so we were listening to some songs and and I heard a funny song, like and I, like I heard this singer, and I can't remember who it was, but like I emulated her voice, and then I did it again a couple of times on this long drive we had. We were driving from um, Queensland Mossman to Darwin, actually. We were moving oh. to Darwin, <laughs> and like first day we were driving, and we and I was you know just entertaining my mum and him, and then he kind of just looked at me at one point after I'd been going on for like a half an hour, and he goes, "You you're really good at like." mimicking people like you're really good at like like and and it's spot on too and he said you know you you might you might be doing this as a joke but like people that do this is like you they really they end up usually being really good singers and I was like really and he's like yeah and he's like do it again so we we kept going and we put on like Don McLean you know with some CDs on Don McLean American Pie which I was obsessed with at the time and I and I would emulate how he was singing I would emulate how Celine Dion would sing. I, I don't know if I was, I was any good at it, but I would try or, um, you know, try and emulate Whitney Houston. And, and it was usually as a joke. But then, um, I'll, again, with the tone, 
I was able to mimic the tone in some way. Mm -hmm. And and that really came in handy later on when I when I started basically ripping off the way like when, when I when I decided I wanted to be a singer was after listening to Amos Lee. And and I was like, that's how I want to sound. So I literally just started singing and emulating the way he sang when I sang my own songs or 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 a cover. I would, I would just do it in an Amos Lee voice. And then my voice started to develop in, in other ways after that. So, um, you know, I might, I might I, you know, I enjoy country music, as you probably can tell, but I I started emulating old old school country singers a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's just a pulling from all these different sources that I like and, and, now, and now this is the voice that I have. So, and I guess which I think so. Yeah, so. <laughs> I imagine you develop your own voice because you have your own songs, right? So you need to find a way to express those songs in the way you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you're in Canada, um, you're an Australian in, in the Canadian music industry, but it sounds like you pretty much started your music career after you moved to Canada. So has it been like being a Canadian artist to get your career off the ground there? Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I all I you know what? I'll, I'm gonna say no because we moved to Toronto and we lived there for 10 months because it was the music capital of Canada. Right. Um it, but when I got there, because it's a big city and it's an artistic city, a very artistic city, there's lots of film, there's lots of music, there's lots of art, there's lots of culture there. Um Everyone, everyone's trying to do the same thing. Not everyone, but there's large amounts of people trying to do the same thing. So it gets bottlenecked, mm-hmm. and it's really, really hard. It was, it was, it was impossible for me to to get noticed there at all. I was there for ten months, and I made one contact in the inter, in in the in the industry, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a I thought I thought it was a wash mm-hmm. when I left. I was like, well, that didn't work. So. Let's try, let's move back to Ottawa where my wife is from and let's try it there. And it's hilarious because the one contact I made, we we cut two songs, we cut three songs together. Two of them, one of the first one I produced mm-hmm. was terrible. The, the, the second time I let him produce. And that's what got this album happening. Uh, okay. Four years later, five years later, nearly. Right. So I recorded two songs, one called Hurricane, one called Streams. Streams is on this album. Mm-hmm. I cut that way back in 2018. Right. Right. So it was hilarious. And then and then him and then me and, and Aaron, the, the producer, we kind of lost touch over time because you know I lived here and didn't have too much to do in, in Toronto. And that ended up being the like the my only contact that I made in the in the actual industry ended up being one of the most important parts because then he produced this entire album that, that is out to see now. So um it's not about the it's not about the quantity. It yeah. really is about the quality sometimes. And uh I'll I'll be honest. So to answer your question, I don't feel like a Canadian artist coming up the way a Canadian artist would. Sure. Um, 
I actually, when I moved to Ottawa, I could not get a gig for almost 10 months. Actually, it was just over 10 months. I emailed, I called. I used to book, I used to book myself shows back in Australia. I knew how I knew how to do this shit. And and I did the same thing here. And, mm -hmm. and especially in Ottawa, it it took so long for anybody to to actually give me a, an actual just a shot. Mm -hmm. Right. So I like and I and I I, I remember it, it it culminated in this in this one venue in particular. That was just on. To their credit, they got honest with me, but it was borderline racist. <laughs> so I, I, I'd, I'd been hitting this. I've been hitting this. These all these venues up, and one of them finally got back to me and said, "Hey, sorry, like, you know, we got we got your email, and and you know, we got to be honest here. Like, you're just not a fit for our venue." And I said, "Well, I've been doing this for a while, and I don't usually just." hit up every venue in town mm -hmm. because I know that they've got a vibe, you know, folk music's played here, hip hop's played here, R&B's played over here, rock, heavy, heavy stuff is played. This, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you because I know that my music's a fit for your venue. Mm -hmm. Here's a list of artists that are um, regulars at your venue. These are my friends. I'm in that circle of people. And I remember they, the, the guy kid said, he said, look, we're not like, we don't do hip hop music here. And I was like, what? And so I, I was just like, anyway, so whatever. I just and I just I just said, you you haven't listened to any of the material I've sent you. Mm -hmm. You know, don't worry about it. I won't I won't bother you again. So I ended up about a month later, I ended up getting a, a, an opportunity to play at that venue through somebody else that had booked a gig that had seen me play um in at a at a at a private event. Mm -hmm. And he was managing another band, that band pulled out. And he said, Mick, can you come fill in? And, you know, the, the, the gigs at this venue. And I was like, ah, I really don't want to play this place, but this is going to be my first actual gig um, outside of playing open mic nights, you know? And uh, so I went, I played the opening set and the bar staff just lost their frigging wine. The guy came up to me that was serving drinks and he's like, he's like, what is your name? And I was like, Mikhail Laxton. And he's like, man, like, you're 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 amazing. We're gonna get you back. And I said, "What's your name?" And I was like, "I know who you are. We've, we've chatted actually." And he's like, "Oh, really?" And he's and I'm like, "Yeah, check your emails." And he and he literally went on his phone and he's like, and he saw and he saw like six months of correspondence between me and him and the last email that he sent me about me being a hip hop artist. Yeah. And I looked I looked at him and he's like he's like, "Man, I'm so sorry. I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't even look at I don't even look at what the artists send me." And I was like, yeah, I know, but you look at the pictures, don't you? And he just looked down and I was like, yeah, you saw this face and you assumed that I did hip hop. And he's like, and he's like, I'm so sorry, man. I was like, I was like, and I just left. I, was, I grabbed my beer and I left. But it was uh, after that, you know, the ball started getting rolling. Words started getting out over here. And and uh, yeah, it's been good. Well, so I no, I, I, haven't <laughs> felt like, I haven't felt like a Canadian artist just because the email, some of the responses that I was getting was, look, you're Australian and you're new. Right. No one's going to know you. No one's going to want to come and see you because you're Australian. And when I booked in Toronto, they were like, oh, you're Australian? Oh, people would love to see that. Let's go. Yeah. It was like the complete opposite, you know? Like sometimes they didn't even listen to the music in Toronto just, and they would book me just based on the fact that I'm Australian, which which also isn't fair. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, part of the challenge of being in Canada is is geographically similar to Australia, which is that if you want to do a Canadian tour, it is it is a long way to travel. You know, Vancouver is a very long way from Toronto, even, and then you have the maritime provinces as well. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to break out there the way it is here if you want to actually get around the whole country. I suppose it's tough in the US as well, but there are more cities in the US to go to. So um, yeah. It's more a comment than a question, Mikhail. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you're right. Um, one thing I will say though is is is, and there's differences between Australian the Australian music scene and the Canadian music scene. Canada's been around a little longer hmm. in regards to its music industry. Um, Australia's got a long way to a long long way to come. I wouldn't be able to have the career I'm I'm starting to have right now even. If I was living in Australia, because um, it, it's just it's just set up more, not necessarily better, but I would say because it's set up more, it is better. But for example, we have satellite radio, yeah, over here, um, and Australians don't know about that, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't have it, and and satellite satellite radio has been like a life changer for a lot of artists like myself. Right. We're not mainstream radio, um, mainstream radio artists, but there's a satellite radio system with like 34 million subscribers across North America. That, you know, if you get on that, you make a living, right? To the point where you you might not need to have a job, you know, and 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 that's that's the kind of support artists need. It's like. You know, like so, my name has been my name has been getting out during since the pandemic started, because um, we started releasing music shortly after the, the like, you know, we, we started releasing music of mine in July of 2020, right. and and then one of my songs from that first EP ended up getting on satellite radio, and I I never toured that album, but my name got out there in the industry. Simply because one of the tracks got on Sirius XM, it got a bit of radio play, you know, all over the world with Stingray music. Um, you know, I've had, I've had, I've had. Uh, it, it's just that the way that music, the the, the, the industry in, on the back end is set up over here. Yes, it's a big country to tour. Touring is still a huge part of. It's probably still the biggest way of getting your name out there. But we've got other ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, and also the music consumption culture between Australia and Canada is totally different. Um, the way, like, our Australian music consumption culture as a whole is really, really at the low end of of good, right? So if, if I came back to Australia and, and did a tour, um, I would have to fill about a quarter, a third of my setup with covers so for it to be acceptable. Yeah, right. Whereas over here, people don't want to hear covers unless you're a cover band. And and that's, you know, like, again, that's another thing that's over here that's just absolutely huge is these super groups get made up of these singer-songwriters and artists and musicians from all these really big Canadian bands, mm-hmm. but then they get together and make a cover band and it just blows up. But it's not like your run-of-the-mill down-at-the-pub cover band this yeah. is like a touring cover band that rec- that makes records of covers, and then they go, and then once the tour is over, they go and tour their own careers yeah. and have their own 
years and stuff like that. So over here, the, the industry is very, very, very different. And again, the, the, the music consumption culture is very different. Um, I don't, I, I, I might add one cover to any of my, like any of my sets. I, I usually don't play covers at my shows anymore mm-hmm. and we sell out, you know, whereas in order for people to be interested or buy a ticket to your show, you need to add, you, people want to hear Wonderwall, um, Horses by Dale Blaithwaite. They want to hear Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely and all this other stuff. And it's like, what are we doing? Like there's so many amazing artists out here that have amazing art and you're literally telling them, we don't want to hear it. We want to hear the stuff on the radio. Yeah. And, you know, I've, offered, I've been offered gigs in Australia, really good money. And they're like, yeah, can you just fill up, you know, 60% of the set and make it covers? And I'm just like, that's not fulfilling to me as an artist. That's not fulfilling to me as a songwriter because I'm here to offer something. And, you know, very, very few people want to hear it. Whereas in Canada, people go out of their way to find new music and, and un, un, unknown talent, you know, so. I'm not saying Australia's not like that at all. It's just it's very few, you know. It is different. Maybe maybe it's changed now. I haven't been there for almost eight years, so, yeah. So uh, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I had lived in Vancouver for a year and I did um, some uh, hosted a show on CITR or co-hosted a show on CITR, which is the University of British Columbia's radio station. I covered music for Discorder magazine. I remember that every CD of a Canadian artist we saw and they were all in independent artists I'm talking about had a logo on it which indicated that the Canadian government had given some form of financial support and that was just uniform that was just this little logo and then CBC Canadian Broadcasting Corporation there were multiple music channels that CBC ran they may still which pretty much play Canadian artists and uh, I suppose we have ABC Country here for example there's ABC Classical but this was not one type of music. This was a channel that was dedicated that either had the whole channel or several shows that were dedicated to Canadian artists. And so the whole attitude towards Canadian culture was different. It was, you know, this is important. We prioritise it. I worked in a children's bookshop where we prioritised Canadian authors. Um, They were, yeah, there was a section for them and it's, it's, it is not the same here. It's still not the same here. The, the Australian government is not giving any kind of regular support to recording artists. There's no logo that you can see on anyone's album showing that um, or on the streaming service showing that the, the government supported it. Uh, certainly, uh, yes, ABC Country does a great job of playing Australian artists, but not exclusively Australian artists. So, yeah, it's. I think it's, I imagine the Canadian government has kept that up because it was really successful and no doubt has contributed to the culture you're talking about there which is that um, it's just more developed, the music industry, than ours. Yeah, you can you can find that logo on uh, on my music videos, actually. Um, yeah, because, you know, like I've been I've been here for a while. I'm a, per, I'm a person, permanent resident, but because I've been living here for more than a year, mm-hmm. now they consider my, my, my music. I, I am actually considered as a Canadian artist now. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not a citizen, but... My my career was launched here, technically. So and and at the time it was launched, I'd, I'd already been here for over a year pursuing music, mm-hmm. and and that's that's the criteria needed to to be considered Canadian content or CanCon for short, which is what they call it over here. So yes, um, I yeah, like we, we yeah, we get we get grants and and funding from the government to help send me to music conferences, we you know that are international, interstate or whatever, um. And 
yeah, they they do support, which is good. I didn't know Australia didn't do that. Um, I don't, well, know. certainly not to the same extent. I I just can't ever recall seeing a lot of Australian yeah. albums back when CDs were still a, a, the main thing with a logo on indicating that that the Australia Council, as it would have been then, had given support. Uh, and I think it's also the, the the application process for grants here would be quite different through the Australia Council or equivalent. Um, I know that you know, there are various grant processes at state and council level, but the that was a Canadian national government initiative that was supporting those musical artists. So and I also think the statement that makes that this is something that the government values and is actually separate to politics, this is a, a national decision to support those musical artists, that indicates something broadly as well it's, it says pay attention we're telling you this is important yeah yeah I think I mean I think like music has been such a strong part of Canadian culture you know since colonization let's be honest mm -hmm. but um yeah like especially you know like because you got a lot of people over here uh and, and it's the immigrant culture right like they had a lot of um Irish and oh, the maritimes and their fiddles <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very much, yeah, and it's and it's that is Irish music, but it's also very Canadian too. Mm. So, I've I've been here long enough where I can I'm, I can start to tell the difference between Irish folk music and Canadian folk music, and it almost sounds it's it's it almost sounds the same, but there's some big nuances and 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 also the content too, you know. So yeah, it's uh, but there's a heavy, heavy Irish. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my one of my one of my friends, my very close friends. Uh, Jessica Pearson, she's a Canadian girl. Um, she co-wrote a few of the songs on my record with me, but she's a she's a traditional Canadian folk artist. And you listen to her music, and it's like, oh, there's there's heavy, um, is it Celtic, mm -hmm. Celtic, Celtic think... uh, influences here? Yeah. Either or, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh, this is Irish folk music when I first heard it. She's like, no, this is Canadian. This is like East Coast Canadian, and I was like huh, can't tell the difference. And then the fiddle will come in. Yeah, see, Irish. And she's like, no, that's East Coast Canadian. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember so, when I lived there, there was a there was a fiddle player from the Maritimes who topped the charts and it was instrumental. Yeah. It, there was, you know, uh, he, he, was, he was young at the time. He then went on to become really well-known in Canada. But I, I was thinking, what, this is wild. This is a, a piece of fiddle music, top of the charts. that actually McIsaac? Yeah. <laughs> So funny story, uh, my gym trainer is his cousin. <laughs> and, and when and when Ashley comes to town, my, my trainer tours with him in the local area right. to take him to that. It's, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> I yeah. haven't met Ashley, but uh, I know who you I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's so, and he's you know he's such a well-known national figure. Um, Mikhail, I could probably keep talking to you about this for hours and hours, but you did mention if you were to come back to Australia and play some shows, is that something that you're contemplating in the in the near to distant future? Absolutely, yeah. So we're actually um, we're actually uh, really keen to get back over there in the first half of 2024 next year. So. Uh, yeah, like, uh, like I, all of this, like, like I should say this. I'm not ragging on Australia. I'm, I, I, my observation is, you know, especially with the music consumption culture or whatever. But what I'm saying is that the 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 maybe things have changed, but like 
Australia just needs a bit more time to get to this level of whatever America's at. They've been at it a long time doing the industry well, you know what I mean? Um, whereas Australia just needs to catch up and, 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 you know, just needs a few more years. But anyway, you can edit this, that part out, but yes, we're very keen to come back. Um, this is the most amount of support I've ever had on anything I've done musically apart from maybe the voice. Um, but yeah, like it's been blowing my mind. So, you know, country radio in particular in Australia has been playing me all over the country, which has been fantastic to see. Thank you for doing the same. Um, we're, we're, we're really keen to get back in the first half of next year. I would love to, you know, we, we've put some applications in for some festivals. Mm-hmm. I don't think we got any, to be honest with you. Um, but if, if, if I come back next year without anything booked, it's probably just going to be for a holiday and, and I'll, and I'll try and, I'll try and make something happen while I'm there, but, um, nothing on a grand scale. Uh, Yeah. Well, I certainly hope plan, you plan is to get back soon. <laughs> Great. Well, I certainly hope you can get back and, and bring that voice and your songs to Australia. I will leave it there because it's the start of your day where you are and you no doubt have things to do. Um, so it has been a true pleasure to talk to you and I hope to talk to you again at some point, perhaps when you announce Australian tour dates. Mikhail Laxton, your debut self-titled album is out now. It is fantastic. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Sophie. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.